This is the Double Dribble Podcast, your source for everything Alabama basketball. Now here's your hosts, Jordan Harper and Matthew Landry. Welcome in, everyone. My name's Jordan Harper, and you're listening to another episode of the Double Dribble Podcast. I'm your host and head basketball analyst at the at Tide Illustrated, Alabama site on the Rivals Network. And if you haven't already got a subscription to Tide Illustrated, go give it a try. I post recruiting intel on there. I post post-game, pre-game Alabama basketball analysis um, you're not going to want to miss the hard-hitting intel that I drop there each and every day. So go on and try a subscription to Tide Illustrated. You won't regret it. Alabama basketball continues to be on fire in fuego, defeating Kentucky 78-52 this past Saturday, and it wasn't even close. This is the biggest beatdown I believe I've ever witnessed Kentucky have. And especially for Alabama, you know, Alabama always either plays Kentucky close or they get blown out in my history of watching Alabama basketball. So it was so refreshing to see Alabama be on the ends of one of these blowouts um, in this series because Alabama's taken a beating over the years from Kentucky. But Alabama comes out 78-52 winners. They can move to 3-0 in SEC play. 13 and 2 overall. They're up to number four in the new AP poll that was just released um, yesterday. So let's kind of break down this game real quick and then we'll kind of look ahead to the Arkansas game coming up tomorrow, January the 11th, and LSU this upcoming Saturday, where I'll actually be in attendance with my family. I'm looking forward to that greatly. So like I mentioned, Alabama won 78-52, and it really wasn't close except for maybe a little four- to five-minute stretch there in the first half. Alabama jumps out to a huge 11-2 lead in the you know the weighing five or six minutes of, of the first half. They, I believe they hit their first four shots, and they really took Oscar Shibway off the court, literally. John Calipari took him out within the first minute or so of the game and then took him out again when he came back into the game um, five or six minutes later. It's just because Oscar cannot play – he cannot play the ball screens. That's going to be a big problem for him if he ends up playing in the NBA. Just that he's just not athletic enough, he's not fast enough, and he's not decisive enough, and that's really what took him off the court. So when you take the national reigning National Player of the Year off the court – for a team that desperately needs some kind of scoring. I mean, that that does you in right there. And it did Kentucky big time. Alabama did a great job. Nate Oates and staff had a great game plan of running him off, you know, on the perimeter, making him guard in space. And he cannot do that. He just can't, especially against bigger guys, more athletic guys. And Bidiaco's not the most athletic, but he's more athletic than Oscar. So they took Oscar out on out on the perimeter, ran a high ball screen, and what they were trying to do was trying to hedge and help a little bit, just enough to get his guy through. And Oscar got caught in no man's land, 
time after time after time. It's like he was trying to help, but trying to get back at the same time, and he just froze. And he would just get caught in the middle. And Charles Bidiaco would get below him to the rim, and it's just an easy dump down or an alley-oop. Now, another way they took Oscar out was they ran a little bit of Spain pick and roll. Now, if you don't know what a Spain pick and roll is, it's it's where you run a ball screen, big man to a point guard. Okay, It's kind of a cross screen, cross ball screen. Point guard uses the screen, comes around, and then a guard comes up from the post and sets a back screen for the big man that just set the ball screen, and the big man rolls to the basket. And I believe they had two, maybe three alley-oops off of that and an and one. It puts the defender in such a tough spot for when you run that back, you know, the back pick, and that guy's rolling. You've got to either back off and help on that guy that's rolling, or you're going to have to, you're going to have to hedge hard and make sure that they can't throw it. And they tried both of those, and they either had an alley oop or Javon Quinterly or Mark Sears got to the basket, got fouled, or got a layup but they just could not defend it. And get, like I said, give Nate Oates credit. They did a great job of game planning and making them guard in space. So just kind of breaking down some of the stats. Alabama shot 48%. Kentucky shot 28%. Obviously, that's a huge difference. Kentucky out-rebounded Alabama, but that'll happen when you get 20 offensive rebounds, which was insane but they shot nearly 20 more shots than Alabama did as well. But Kentucky just – they just did not play well at all. They are probably one of the worst Kentucky teams I've seen since the year they missed the NCAA tournament and lost in the first round of the NIT, I believe, to Robert Morris. So this team's – he's got talent, obviously. It's Kentucky. And you look, and they have five stars on the team. But none of them can shoot. And if you don't have shooters in a college basketball team, you will not be successful. It doesn't matter who, what name is on the front of that jersey. So when you go 5 of 20 from 3 and only shoot 8 free throws, that lets you know that you're settling for a lot of outside shots, a lot of mid-range shots, not getting to the basket, trying to get fouled. And then you shoot 21 of 73 from the field. Yikes. You're not going to win any ball games shooting 30, 25, and 62 at all, especially on the road against a top-10 team. But Alabama was a pretty balanced effort. Um, shot 48% from the field, 36%, 8 of 22 from three, and 18 of 26 from the free-throw line. So they were plus 13 from the free-throw line. So that shows out. You, you watched the game. You saw that Alabama really didn't settle. They didn't take that many threes. You know, if it wasn't for Rylan Griffin's last two threes at the end of the game, they only shot 20. That's well below their average of close to 30 because they could get to the basket whenever they wanted. They got out in transition and got several baskets in transition. But Brandon Miller, after a slow first half, woke up. Um, I guess listen to Jimmy Dots talk about how Jacob Toppin was a pro and how Brandon Miller was going to struggle really got to him. But he ended up scoring 19.7 rebounds. Mark Sears had a stretch in the second half where he scored, I believe, eight points in three minutes and really lifted Alabama to a 20-point lead in the second half where they didn't look back after that. They got up as, as much as, I believe, 35, 34. Um, 
so it, it wasn't really close. There's not, not much else to break down outside of, you know, it, it was just an old fashioned butt whooping. So this sets the, sets the stage for probably the second biggest road game that Alabama has had this, this, this season so far. The first being at, at Houston, obviously. But they travel tomorrow, Wednesday, January the 11th, to Arkansas to face the number 15 Razorbacks. Now, Arkansas is coming off a pretty bad loss to Auburn on the road. Auburn just came off a loss at on the road against a really bad Georgia team. So you knew they were wanting to bounce back in front of their home crowd. And Arkansas, just for the second time in SEC play on the road, just came out flat. Now, obviously, they lost Brazil, and they lost Nick Smith Jr., probably a top-five pick in the NBA draft, to injury, and they're not going to play. Brazil's out for the year, and Nick Smith is likely out for the year, for sure out for the month of January, according to Coach Musselman. But Arkansas has a lot of trouble scoring the ball as well, um, just like Kentucky. So Arkansas's problem is they can't shoot the three at all. Kentucky at least shoots good percentages from three. Arkansas does not. And if, in the three games in SEC play, two being on the road, they've shot 18% from three. That is horrendous. So when you're shooting 18% from three and combine that with 22 free throws attempts per game in SEC play and only shooting 61% from the free throw line, not only are you leaving a lot of points on the free throw line, but you're also settling for a lot of outside shots. And I've watched all three games, rewatched them, and they're settling for a lot of bad shots. Probably 75% of them, I'd say, or you could probably deem as bad shots. So when you're not shooting well and you're in a pretty good defensive team, they're ranked number seven in adjusted defense, um, according to Kim Palm, which Alabama is eighth in adjusted defense. It's going to put a real strain on you on the defensive end. When you're shooting so poorly from three, them getting wrong rebounds and running out in transition. I mean, one of their star freshmen, Jordan Walsh, he, he's gotten four fouls every single game. He's a six-foot-seven guard, one of their better players, but you're putting them in a bad position, taking bad shots to have to go foul on the other end because that's what teams are going to want to do to them because Arkansas is a very good half-court defense because they start four guards, one forward. They don't have a true center, but they have four guards. Their center being – or their power forward slash center six nine. They have three guards that are six seven in the starting lineup, and then they have Debo Davis who feels like he's been there forever at point guard who's six four. So they have tremendous length defensively. So in the half-court defense, they can be disruptive. But the object is for against Arkansas, a team like that, you want to get out and run and try to get in transition and score the, that way and get them in foul trouble. So if Arkansas is not making shots, they're not setting up their half-court defense, and that's kind of what's been, been hurting them. Um, Anthony Black is probably their best player, even though he's been very inconsistent so far uh, in SEC play. He's, he had his best game of scoring 23 points at Auburn. Um, but didn't score over seven against um, Missouri in a win at home and then in the LSU loss on the road. Didn't score over seven points. Now, Ricky Council, the fourth, uh, has been their best player, their most consistent player, I would say. 
Um, he's averaged 17 points in SEC play. And really the breakdown from their scoring output has been, you know, they score 60% of their points in the paint, 21% from free throw line, and about 20, 19% from three. So they rely heavily on mid-range and in scoring the ball because they can't shoot outside and they can't really shoot free throws. So as long as you pack the paint, like I mentioned earlier, Auburn played a 2-3 zone against Arkansas, and Arkansas struggled big time. Now, they probably weren't expecting a 2-3 zone from Auburn, but that 2-3 zone really stymied them, made them kind of stagnant with the ball, the ball got, you know, got got sticky there for a little bit. Uh, people held it too long, and then they just tried to throw up a three. And with their percentages, Auburn played the percentage game and said, "Beat us, beat us at your weakness." And they could not. And that's kind of why the game was was out of hand most of uh, most of the way. But you know, Alabama matches up very well with with Arkansas. Arkansas is a one and a half point favorite. Last time I looked, at home, so. You know, on a neutral court, Alabama's probably a two, three-point favorite. But at home, they give Arkansas the edge, which I probably would too just because of Alabama's history at Bud Walton Arena, not winning since 2012. Arkansas and Alabama series is pretty funny because Alabama dominates Arkansas at home. Arkansas dominates Alabama at home. It's a home-dominated series. So any time Alabama fans see that Alabama has to travel to Arkansas, pretty much counted as a loss every single year just because of that. It's a struggle, which Bud Walton Arena is is a place that is very hard to play in. It's very hard to get calls in as a road team. But it's just an intimidating, t- intimidating hostile environment. And for Alabama's young freshmen that already played at what I think is probably the, the toughest arena to play in, in college basketball at Houston to come away with a win there after being down as many as 15 or 16. Arkansas shouldn't be that bad to them. They should they should be battle-tested. That's why NATO's schedule is really tough in a non-conference. They should be battle-tested and go in um, ready for a dogfight. Now, where Alabama has the advantage is that they're balanced scoring. They can shoot from the outside, albeit they're not very – consistent shooting from outside but they're consistent enough a lot more consistent than Arkansas but they get to the free throw line they make their free throws and they score well around the rim so they're more balanced scoring they're just as good at defense ranked eighth in adjusted defense uh, while Arkansas seventh so it could either be become a sloppy game or if one of these teams get hot from three it could it could get ugly for one or the other sides but I think Alabama will either lose a close one or they'll win by double digits. I don't see Arkansas running away with this just because of their offense just isn't good enough to do so. So I, I personally have Alabama beating Arkansas 78-75 at Bud Walton Arena. Now, I probably jinxed them. So if you come back next week, I will admit my jinx. And I apologize if that happens, but I'm pretty confident in this Alabama squad that they're that this year's different, and they're gonna you know rot the demons in Bud Walton Arena. Now the next game that you're gonna Alabama has this week is gonna be at home on Saturday against LSU. 
Now, LSU is one of those weird teams that didn't play anybody in in non-conference. Their long game that they played against a good opponent was Kansas State, who has come on and become really, really good um, this year. So they ended up losing by two to Kansas State, but everybody else they played is average to below average. They had one of the worst adjusted non-conference strength of schedules in the country. Okay. So they're, they rank 343rd in non-conference strength of schedule rating adjusted. Folks, there's only 363 teams in Division One. That's one of the easiest schedules out there. And that's why they're 12-3. and three. They've lost two of their first three SEC games, one at Kentucky, which Kentucky looks pitiful right now, and then at A&M, who is not a good basketball team either. But they beat Arkansas at home, which, you know, when it, you can you can play always play well at home, but you know it was, it, that was a very very odd game. Neither team played well. It's just that LSU scored more points at the end. Let's, let's just put it at that. Nobody really separated themselves that game. But LSU is a team with pretty much a one man wrecking crew. So KJ Williams is a very very talented player. He averages 18 points a game, 6'10", power forward slash center. Um, You know, he averages 18 points a game. He's their leading rebounder at seven. He's their leading steal guy at one, and he averages over a block a game. You know, the Murray State grad transfer has always been a very good scorer. He's averaged 18 points a game last year at Murray State as well. So, you know, he can shoot the three. He's very well down low, shoots great from the free throw line. You're not going to stop K.J. Williams. You can only hope to slow him down, but you can let him go off. But it's to let the other guys like Adam Miller and Cam Hayes um, to not get going. You can't let the other guys get going because if you do, then you know K.J. will. And the other guys, if they get, if they get on, then they, they can beat anybody. But you pretty much know that K.J. Williams is going to have a good game. And it's really just limiting the others. So LSU ranked 79th in Kim Palm. Um, They would be considered a quad three game at home for Alabama. And really, if when you look at their peripherals, their strength of schedule is really poor, non-conference really poor, uh, adjusted offense and defense for – you know, the talent they have on that team's not really good. They're 99th in adjusted O and then 71st in adjusted defense. Um, their tempo's really slow. Like, there, there's just nothing great about this team. So, Alabama's coming off a big game Wednesday against Arkansas. You can foresee a letdown, even though it's going to be a sold-out Coleman Coliseum that was just announced today on Saturday afternoon. But you can see a letdown game coming. You know, they really want to get up and beat Arkansas, make a point that this is their conference this year, and just kind of overlook LSU. But I believe that Alabama matches up very well with LSU. LSU doesn't do anything spectacular, and they'll come ready to play. Okay, so – 
you know, you're looking at Alabama potentially if they beat Arkansas starting five and zero in conference for the first time since I, I couldn't tell you when they started last time they started five and zero. I can't remember if they started five and zero since um, Mark Godfrey days, but. Arkansas is going to be a big test for Alabama. It's going to be one of those games that's going to really test um, where they've come from, how battle-tested they are playing in the tough non-conference games, especially on the road and in the neutral sites against the really good teams. And it's just going, going to see, you know, the progress. That's one thing Nate Oates always wants to see is progress with his team, getting better every week. Um I know that Nate Oates has had a, had a lot to um, correct from the Kentucky game. It wasn't perfect. So I feel like they'll end up being really focused and not winning that game. But regardless, if they win or lose against Arkansas, they do not need to come out flat against this LSU team. That's a team that you can come out, punch them in the mouth early on, and coast the rest of the way. So looking back – Alabama's come a long way this year um, based on, you know, expectations for them preseason. 13-2, and 3-0 in conference. Got a big game coming up um, against Arkansas on the road and then L- LSU at home. But when you think about it, Alabama has really, you know, ro- rose above expectation. I don't want to say that we expected this because I don't think anybody expected them to be this good and beat the teams that they did beat. But this team is gelled so well together. They're super talented and they play for each other. You saw people or guys diving on the on the floor late in the Kentucky game, up 20-something, close to 30, diving on the floor for a loose ball. Would you have seen that last year in those guys um, on the team? Absolutely not. Because these guys are different. These guys play for each other. Nate Oates has got them jailed, and they he made a point to get everybody out that was about themselves and not about the team. And he built a nice squad of freshmen, transfers, and guys that were already there. We've seen Javon Quinterly start coming on and finding his role, and when he gets going – you get Namari Burnett back and you get Dom Welch acclimated. Ryland Griffin shot the ball well against Kentucky at the end of the game. If he gets hot, I mean, this this team's ceiling is, I mean, as Michael Jordan said, the ceiling is the roof for this team. I mean, it, it you can't cap it. They're one of the five or six teams that has a very, very good chance or best chance to win the national championship. And it's why they're projected number one seed um, pretty much everywhere that you see, or at least a high two seed. I think their floor is probably a four seed if they just collapse in SEC play. But I think they'll end up being a one or a two. If they end up playing in Birmingham, goodness, I hope the curse is gone. But that would be fantastic for this team. But you got a stretch coming up where you play Arkansas, then LSU, and then at Vandy, at Missouri. You got one week of being on the road, one against a, a pretty poor Vanderbilt team, and then a Missouri team that's kind of slowing down um, based on you know recent results struggling against Vanderbilt at home. 
Then you got Mississippi State, Oklahoma, Vanderbilt. I mean, all three very winnable games, two being at home, one at Oklahoma. Then you got LSU. Fly. I mean, this is a very favorable schedule for Alabama. Um, the two really tough games they have left outside of Arkansas, I hate looking ahead like this, but, you know, they struggle at Missouri, but at Auburn and at Tennessee within a four-day period. And that, that's the toughest stretch of the season for them um, in the SEC play. But, you know, sky's the limit for this team. And it's been really fun watching them. And hopefully Alabama fans will be rewarded with a win at Arkansas tomorrow night um, at 6 p.m. on ESPN2. But that's all I have today for um, episode 30 of the Double Dribble podcast. I appreciate every one of you that listened to the um, this podcast that's been around for the three years that um, Matt and I, who should be on for the next episode, hopefully, um, what we've brought um, to this podcast I appreciate every one of you hanging in and listening to all the episodes. You can find me on Twitter at HarperNation24. I'd love to interact with you. I'm always posting Alabama football. i got a big Jacksonville Jaguar playoff game this upcoming Saturday. And, you know, with, with college football over with now, the sole focus of college athletics is going to basketball. So never too late to jump on, jump on the Alabama wagon and um, start – you know, start cheering them on. They're a fun basketball team to watch. But until next time, after the LSU game sometime next weekend or next Monday, um, this has been the Double Dribble Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Harper. Thanks for listening. Adios.